Welcome to the ARPA Animal Shelter of the Week podcast, where we introduce you to incredible organizations around the country that are focused on helping animals. We're proud to be sponsored by Dubert.com. Dubert is a free website designed to connect volunteers with rescues and shelters, and the only site that automates rescue relay transport. Let's meet this week's featured animal shelter. The Animal Care Sanctuary is located in East Smithfield, Pennsylvania, and their mission is to rescue, rehabilitate, and adopt homeless animals and advocate for the well-being of all animals. The sanctuary provides a safe and caring refuge for companion animals, inspires change through education, supports spay and neuter initiatives, and advocates for the humane treatment of all animals. They have been rescuing animals for over 50 years, and on any given day, hundreds of dogs and cats are in residence. Hi, Joan. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here today. We're definitely excited to have you and uh, learn a little bit more about what you guys are doing over there in Pennsylvania. Why don't you start with telling us how long you've been around and how you got started and kind of what your purpose and goals are? Well, I'd be happy to do that. Animal Care Sanctuary, we're celebrating our 52nd year, which is um, exciting. Uh, We originally started in Toms River, New Jersey. That is where our founder was from. She originally was from England and worked in New York City. And she saw that in the end of the summer when people would leave their beach homes, they would abandon their animals. And after a few months of gathering animals, she realized this is my calling and gave up her uh, work as an interior designer in New York City, bought a five-acre farm, and before you know it, had a thousand animals, which, you know, in the 60s, that was a lot. Um, She wanted to purchase more land uh, to build a big shelter in New Jersey, but zoning did not uh, think that was a great idea, and consequently, she moved to uh, East Smithfield, Pennsylvania, where 132 acres looked wonderful on top of a hill, and she could bring the animals here. Um, Just an aside, as doing our 50th year history, I went back and looked at where she was going to build. She had purchased 25 acres, and today it sits with junk cars. So shame on them, but great for us. We have a beautiful (laughs) site here that um, is uh, very welcoming and great for our animals. You know, our dogs get walked twice a day. They've got a lot of property. The community comes to do running, you know, with trails in the woods. And our cats have a catio that overlooks just quiet fields and they get to watch the birds. So we're very happy to be here. And of course, as a no-kill from the very beginning. And we were fortunate in 2012 that the Pennsylvania SPCA that had a piece of property and a shelter in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania, uh, they strategically had decided to close. And uh, so we bought their property for a dollar and that gave us a second site so we have 64 acres in Wellsboro so that really worked out well Um, all of the behavioral um, problems and the intake um, you know of animals happens in East Smithfield and then as soon as the animals are cleared and ready to be adopted they go over to Wellsboro so um, they just move them very quickly and it's a great opportunity for us to get the animals noticed in a different area. 
Yeah, that's that's I would say pretty unique, right? Most shelters don't have that much land. Um, so I think that's one of the things that definitely sets you apart from some of the other uh, organizations that are out there. Now, I definitely want to talk about you know the community and in, in your surrounding area. Um, but I but I first want to ask because you have so much land, how many animals do you guys house on any given day? What does that look like for you? It varies, uh, but it usually runs uh, between 250 and 350. Wow. Um, you know, cats, uh, we have a very large cattery, and um, that uh, encompasses a nursery, which right now is emptying out, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> but come, you know, another couple of months and it will be filled. Uh, it also has an isolation. Uh, unit, which is for any of our cats that have any kind of, you know, medical upper respiratory or anything like that. It has an intake unit. Um, It also has uh, a cat cafe and an area that um, preschoolers can come and or the libraries can come and uh, retired teachers have really made sure that there's a great library of books on dogs and cats. And so the kids can come up and read or be read to uh, while interacting with the cats. And then there's a large uh, cattery that houses the adults, starting with seniors. You weave your way back to the kittens purposely so that everybody has to walk by the older ones first. Sure. And then spring, summer, and fall, we have a wonderful catio. And it's got uh, fountains and tables where volunteers and employees can eat their lunch. And, of course, the cats think it's wonderful. They hang out. And uh, watch the watch the birds, and we feed the birds so that they can see them and grow big urns of cat grass and things like that. So, um, and then on our our canine care side, um, our capacity is usually no more than thirty. Okay. We want the goal is with the dogs to get them in and out, you know, after the 14th, 15th day is when behavioral issues can start. And so the sooner we can get them in and back out into a loving home, the better. Yeah. Well, thank you for that background. I think that's really helpful. And and that is a massive amount of animals on any given day. Um, well, our Wellsboro site, uh, which is uh, 64 acres, is a smaller shelter with nine dog runs and about 15 cats, Um, but they move so fast. Um, As I uh, mentioned, the intake process is really here in East Smithfield, and then, you know, they're taken to Wellsboro. And of course, like most shelters, we've got cats in, you know, pet smarts all over the place and anything to get them exposed and, um, you know, be seen by the public and adopted. Yeah, absolutely. So what I want to talk a little bit about is kind of what what your community is like, what the what the location around you guys is like. And are there any particular challenges uh, for either the animals or the or the people? Tell us a little bit more about where you guys are located. In East Smithfield, which is where the uh, the the main uh, administrative offices and the and the large quantity of animals is is a very rural area. When our founder moved here in the early 80s, there were no hotels, no restaurants, just extremely rural uh, farm country. 
which is why she put some mobile homes here so that if people did come and want to visit, they would have a place to stay. Those mobile homes are used very differently today, but uh, it's um, because we're so rural, anyone that does want to come and uh, locally and volunteer, um, we are quite a distance drive. It's not like, you know, it's the next block over. We, it takes 20, 30 minutes to get here. So that is a challenge for us. Uh, it's funny with uh, adopters. They don't see it that way. They're coming from Canada or Virginia or Wisconsin or, you know, but they're coming because they fell in love with an animal on Pet Finder. But the uh, local community in East Smithfield, it, it's much more of a challenge. We always say our land is our strength and in some ways our location is a weakness because people can't just bop in and out. They don't go by us. In Wellsboro, we have the exact opposite. No matter where you go in the town, you have to go right by Animal Care Sanctuary. And it looks as if we have maybe two acres. No one has any idea that, you know, there's 62 acres behind our shelter of fields and woods that are ours. But it makes recruiting for volunteers much easier. You know, you can just stop in, you know, and volunteer for half an hour or do a load of laundry or walk a dog. And uh, the burden of the travel to get there is, um, you know, diminished. So they each have um, so many strengths and weaknesses, but our communities are very different. You know, we are still very rural in uh, Bradford County. And in Tioke County, which is also rural, but it's also very much a tourist town, uh, they have the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon. They have uh, so much in terms of the rails to trails. All the railroads are gone, and so they have hundreds of miles of bike trails and hiking trails. So two very different environments. Yeah, definitely sounds like an interesting area, right? Minus the time that it takes to travel uh to the, to the organization. Um, it is, and it's also um, very close to um, the Finger Lakes. So our county is one that people drive through, which is why we are hoping to you know, be a destination. But people drive through uh, our counties to go to the Finger Lakes also, which is wine country and all kinds of boating, recreation and things like that, as well as corn and glass, which is a big draw in our area. So, you know, you can be there in 40 minutes and spend the day and really have a great, great time no matter where you go. And, and Cornell, I mean, where the Finger Lakes um, are closest to us is Ithaca, uh, New York, which is where Cornell is. Yeah. Again, sounds like a, a great location, and I'm I'm a little jealous, right? Um, you mm -hmm. <laughs> you have so much going on, uh, and the location seems to be beautiful. Uh, I hope one day to make it out that way, and if I do, I definitely want to make plans to to stop by and see these two wonderful locations we're going to talk about today. One of the things that you know is key for us is is to talk about the different programs um, that rescues and shelters have. And looking at your website, you guys have a lot of different um, programs and community outreach. I'd like to take a few minutes and just kind of to talk about that. And, and what do you think makes you different? And, and what are you most proud of? I think that some of the programs that we have are unique. Um, we certainly, our main focus is like every shelter, adoption, spay, neuter, um, you know, humane education. 
But because we do have the advantage of um, three veterinarians um, that are on site and two clinics, we started uh, five years ago a pre-vet intern program. So we have housing here with the trailers that I had mentioned earlier, mobile homes. So we began an intern program where um, applicants could go on and apply in late fall or early spring. And they come and stay with us for a 12-week semester, which uh, for them looks like uh, they get three weeks in the clinic with the veterinarians, three weeks in canine care and work with the behaviorists and all of the canine care staff, three weeks in the cattery and behaviorists for the catter, cats as well, and then uh, three weeks in the adoption floor. Uh, we, they go to events, uh, they learn how to process adoptions, and also I think it's important that while they're here, we try to give them some training on nonprofit, what is governance, what is a board of directors, as well as spend time with them on advocacy and how a bill becomes a law and all those kinds of things. So. Um, it's a great experience for the intern and for Animal Care Sanctuary. Young people who are very bright and studying hard uh, ask a lot of questions. And I think those questions uh, make us have to um, think, why do we do it this way? Um, they challenge us, and um, I think it's a win-win. It's great for us, and I hope that they carry that through their no matter what they do, private practice or specialties, they'll always remember the shelter and the importance of a veterinarian. That's definitely a program I have I have not heard of yet. Um, so again, I I think it's really really inspirational to the to the younger generation, right? For what you guys are doing and what you offer. Can can you just share with our audience how how did you start that program? We have um, a relationship with Cornell, which has uh, had the first shelter medicine uh, program for veterinarians. Today, the 22 out of 28 veterinarian schools across the country have shelter medicine as part of their uh, overall specialties. But Cornell was the first, and the standards for shelter medicine came out in 2010, which is when I came to Animal Care Sanctuary. My first call was to Cornell to come down and really help us to make sure that our standards were um, and our, what we were doing and the care we were providing was um, matched what they thought. And uh, so as uh, we realized that there were shelter medicine students all across the country and that uh, we could really expose them to, um, particularly with the large amount of animals we have, um, we could provide them with experience that they might not get elsewhere. So we wrote the, a program, put the application on, uh, wanted to see what happened, and uh, we got a tremendous amount of applications, and it has been a wonderful experience. The students that come, uh, we ask them um, about their, they're told at orientation that they will be asked to put together a project or um, something that would be helpful to the sanctuary uh, as they wrap up their uh, semester. And uh, whether it's something in marketing or something that they've noticed in one of the areas that they work that with a little extra attention could be developed into something larger. 
So uh, each year the program improves and um, we're very excited to have it. And to see all of the different students come from all over the country and Puerto Rico uh, has been wonderful for us. And then they can take that back and talk about, of course, Animal Care Sanctuary, which we want them to do, but, but sheltering in, in uh, overall and hopefully share and, you know, remember that shelter when they're in their own practice. Yeah. How many, how many people do you guys accept uh, each year into the program? And, and do they apply through your website? Do they go through Cornell? How, do, how does that work if someone they was interested? They do apply through our website. And uh, um, as soon as we get the application, we send them back some information. And then they have uh, two or three telephone interviews. And the uh, final interview is uh, making sure that because we do receive more applications than we can take, and you asked about how many, and each year it's a little bit different. Um, and the reason I say that is um, we can only take four in our East Smithfield location in the summer, and Wellsboro has had two. Uh, right now they're doing renovations, so this summer they won't have any. But also interns often will apply for fall or maybe they're um, – in between their bachelor's and go under pre-med and they're taking a gap year and so they can come in the fall or the winter or the spring. But one of the ways to kind of um, eliminate or narrow down our number of applicants is to uh, require that they participate in what we call our alternative housing program which is uh, accepting one of our dogs that have some behavioral challenges to live with them for the time that they're here and really work with our behaviorist on an individualized care plan and then meet with them, the behaviorist, weekly. And maybe they, the, pro, the uh, program needs tweaked or maybe it's working really well. Um, but that has been... Um, uh, a very successful program. I think the interns learn a lot and uh, it makes such a difference to our dogs. And we're happy to say that 100% of them after they've been with our interns have been adopted, which is um, just, that's the goal and, and we're so excited about that. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great accomplishment uh, to be at 100%, right? That's difficult these days to be 100% mm -hmm. for, for anything. And and to take 100% of, of dogs who have behavioral issues uh, and make sure that they're adopted, I, I think speaks great volumes. 28 dogs, right? And all 28 of them right. have been adopted. Of right. those 28, do you have a story that stands out to you um, that maybe you want to share? I do. I could give you a million, but I'll tell you one. <laughs> um, we had Chrissy. Chrissy was a hound that uh, had separation anxiety and it was so bad that she had jumped out of a second story window uh, when her owners were leaving their home and really injured herself and uh, just could not be left alone. And once she uh, moved in with her human, and her intern, and uh, really they began to work on uh, some crate training, um, being able to go 
out of the home maybe for five minutes and then 10 minutes. And 12 weeks gives you a long time to do that. Um, today, that dog is living in New York City with a, a wonderful family and a, another dog in the home. And it's just a typical dog. There's no more separation anxiety there. Um, so that was a real success story. Uh, yeah. It sounds, you know, sometimes people don't think separation anxiety is a is a real problem. But boy, um, if you've seen homes that are destroyed um, and animals that are really injured, and that can lead to more. So um, that's one that I would think of right away. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine having a separation anxiety so bad that you're willing to jump out of a window, right? Right. Um, right to not be left alone. So what amazing work that the interns are doing. They are, and the behaviorist really is uh, plays a great part in that, being able to go and say, well, I've tried this and it's not working. And then, you know, really re, re-changing the, the, uh, the program, you know, yeah. to, to make it work for the dog. Yeah, that bottom line is teamwork, right? With the behaviorist and the intern and, and communicating and, and really patience with the dog um, yes. is key because as, a, as, as humans, right, we know that nothing comes overnight, no matter how we want to do it, no matter what we want to change. It, it takes time, right? It does. It does. And consistency, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So we've talked about two really great programs. Uh, are there any others that you, that you want to share with the listeners before we move on? There are. Um, some are very, uh, you know, quick, and I'll just mention them, but one is uh, we're an emergency placement partner for the Humane Society, and that is very rewarding to be able to bring animals in that have gone through, you know, disasters. We spend a lot of time uh, with the Sandy Hook and all of the different hurricanes that happened in the Carolinas. I mean, there's just, unfortunately, our, our nation has had a lot over the last couple of years. And in fact, um, because we are building a new kennel and didn't have room to accept any in this last with Puerto Rico, our vet team went to New Jersey and helped uh, the New Jersey folks be able to process the animals as they come in. So emergency placement partner, we hold high um, in terms of how we can help our nation. Um, we have another program called Love on a Leash, which is where we train our community members with their dogs uh, to be uh, in the pet therapy program. They have a you know, a didactic, they do a lot of uh, obedience training, and then they have to log a lot of hours under supervision um, in uh, different facilities. And so we're very excited about that. There's nothing better than, you know, someone who is sick being able to, you know, see an animal in their hospital room or their assisted living or skilled nursing facility, as well as um, in the home care and hospice uh arena. So, and, and I think along with the patient's compassion fatigue for the people who are working in the hospital, particularly for trauma and oncology and things like that, we feel very good about that program. Um, and another really big one, one that is kind of near and dear to my heart, is the advocacy program. And one that we're trying to rally other shelters to really participate in 
um, we can talk all day about how, um, you know, there are so many ways um, that we see animals abused or, you know, um, that laws need changed, um, but we can talk all day. It takes action. And so that means really learning who your legislators are, whether it's, you know, representatives and senators on the state level or the federal level, and um, really encouraging them to, you know, support uh, legislation that's going to benefit animals. And an example I have is when I first started our senator, we had an anti-tethering here in Pennsylvania in like 14 or 15. And I had thought I had done a good do job educating him. And then he voted no. And I went to his office. I was like, what in the world? And he said, well, in my neighborhood, there are, in my county, there are so many uh, snow dogs, sled dogs, and they're all tied out. And, you know, so I didn't want to vote for this. And then they wouldn't be able to tie their dogs out. Well, spent a lot of time not only developing a relationship with him, but also educating him on the life of a sled dog. And after a million videos and articles, <laughs> he said, I don't need to have any more. I agree with you. But today, you know, you know, it's a lot of years later. And now when a bill comes up, the first thing I do is send it to him and say, is there any language in here you don't like? Do you understand the bill? Are you going to support it? Will you co-sponsor it? And I'm happy to say that there is nothing now that uh, he has not sponsored and helped us to turn around some other legislators that maybe were on the fence. So it's really important wow. because we can talk all day, but until we get a law passed, you know, we can't do anything. And we just had a substantial law passed in Pennsylvania, and we're working on two more right now. Uh, we're working on the puppy uh, retail um, sales which uh, in our state is really necessary, and we have so many puppy mills here. And the second bill is for wildlife trafficking, and, you know, I'm very involved with that. I go to Africa, I support the wildlife, and it's just, uh, we, we have a lot of work to do there. Yeah. So, you know, this is always a tough one for people to get started with. What would you say to someone who wants to reach out to their state government and make some changes? I think the very first thing is to invite them to your shelter. Um, they need to tour your shelter. They need to see that, um, you know, whether you have two employees or 20 employees, that you're an economic driver in their community. You know, you have a payroll, you buy dog food, you buy things from the local community. And, the, and you have people who vote. So they need to have a tour and understand the type of work that you do. And I think that really, um, that invite to your shelter begins that uh, relationship. And then when, um, you know, they shouldn't just hear you from you when uh, you want uh, to get a bill passed. You know, you want to 
consult with them on other things, maybe things that you're doing in your community that you just want to gain their support. We're starting a new therapy program, and Senator, how do you feel about that? Oh, well, that sounds great. You know what I'm saying? So that you can include that maybe in an article. You know, begin that relationship building so that when the legislation does come, you can talk with them about it. And I think it's important to talk right up front. Is there something in this that, you know, does, doesn't sit right with you? And then uh, if you do it, you know, you can possibly get it tweaked. I have a couple of times, you know, where there's just a piece of language that uh, with a slight alteration makes all the difference in the world. So, um, but that can't happen until you develop that relationship. So invite them to your events, you know, um, invite them to your fundraisers, introduce them to your community. When they see that you have a fundraiser and there's 50 people there and you've been invited him and introduced him. That's 50 potential voters. So it's that relationship building in order to begin to make a difference in terms of legislation. Yeah, I think those two are are great pieces of information. Uh, you know, and, and the building relationships in in any part of your life is is key, right? Um, exactly. Not just in, in animal rescue. and Exactly. Uh, you know, just in general, I, I think it is all about relationship building. And that's a good piece of information to invite them to your organization. Um, I don't know that that would have been a, a top one for me. Um, but I definitely see how it opens the doors for it building really the does. relationship. Yeah. 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 And you want to show them what you're doing, right? Absolutely. So I think if you're doing good, you want people to know you're doing good and get their support. So I think those are two really great pieces of advice. And it's also uh, pride for your your staff and volunteers you know, and you're bored. Yeah. So uh, it's a it's a win-win. You know, you had a legislator here and they got to meet them and maybe they've never met a legislator before. Maybe they have a fear of meeting someone like that. And really, you know, they work for us. So um, a lot of opportunity to educate staff, volunteers and board as well. So it's a win. Yeah, I definitely think that's, that's a great, that's a great piece. We also, uh, this is really not exactly under Project Tome, but we have a life care plan so that when people are thinking about, um, you know, their planning in terms of what happens to me, uh, what happens to their pet. And so we have uh, a whole lot of applications here for animals so that, you know, when we get that phone call from a daughter saying, mom died and she has two dogs and she thinks I'm going to keep them and I don't want them. So the dog comes into the shelter. Well, if we had had all the information on the animals when mom was still alive, what the dog is and pictures and, you know, medical needs and how they get fed and so forth and so on, it could be that we could take that dog from one home and place it in another and it would never have to hit the shelter. So anything uh, to keep the dogs and cats out of the shelter, that's the goal. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. Um, the life care plan is is fantastic, and like many things, right? You ju- you just have to plan in advance. Yes. Without without a plan, it's it's difficult to take it things is. as they come. It is. And uh, you know, someone that ha- has had a cat for you know fifteen years, and they got it when it was six weeks old, to all of a sudden not only lose their owner, but to lose their home and be put in a shelter, it's traumatic. And, yeah. um, you know, if we can avoid that, we want to. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a great program for the community. So hopefully if they didn't know about it, um, they'll soon learn about it uh, and hopefully take advantage of it um, with you guys. So I know we talked about a lot of different programs that you guys have. Um, all are really, really wonderful. I want to flip the switch here and kind of talk about what are your biggest challenges within the sanctuary today? Well, I'm sure like many, um, funding is always uh, a challenge. Um, Particularly uh, now, I think with the stock market changing and so forth, there is a lot of hesitation on giving. Um, so that is always a challenge. The other thing um, is we are big on writing grants. And um, they're probably the urban people feel just the opposite. But we feel there's an urban bias. We have, uh, there's some of the grants that we've applied for. They want to provide um, services in a major metropolitan area. We see that a lot, particularly with spay-neuter. And um, some of them, you know, we look at the numbers of who they gave the funding to in Chicago and Baltimore and Philly, and our numbers are just the same. So uh, funding is difficult. And when you're in an area rural like this where there is no corporate base, um, there are no foundations, uh, and yet you go to another area like Philadelphia where there's a million foundations and, you know, we're not in their guidelines. Our area is not in their guidelines. So funding is very difficult. Recruiting of volunteers in the East Smithfield is very difficult because of the fact that they do have to drive a distance to get here. Um, so those are our major challenges, I would say. Yeah. So... From a volunteer standpoint, um, I know we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, right, in, in the distance that they have to drive, right, just to come in for a, for a couple of hours. Is there anything that volunteers can do to help you guys virtually? Yes, there is. If they're not, if they're not able to drive in and, and make that or they don't have a vehicle or they don't have the gas money, is there anything people can do to help yes. you that way? That, thank you for asking. There is. Spreading our message does not have to be where you're present here at the sanctuary. You know, today with social media, you know, if you see one of our dogs that's being, uh, or cats that's being um, posted on Facebook, if you shared it with your friends, you know, that would be a big help. Um, certainly we're looking for people who can help us to uh, write. You know, we're always looking for places to publish articles. And so um, somebody that maybe wants to write and could do it from home, um, that would be wonderful. Um, maybe they can't come here to the sanctuary, but maybe they could go to an event. You know, that's uh, every weekend we are doing adoption events or some kind of an event to tell our story. And maybe they could volunteer at the events or take pictures of our animals at the events. So there are numerous ways uh, to help that don't necessarily mean that you would have to come into the sanctuary. You know, helping us with some of our mailings and things like that. There are, there are a lot of uh, opportunities, yeah. even maybe in the workplace, you know, that, that you would be able to, you know, put a donation box or talk about us or we've got a lot of retail things that we sell, you know, show a catalog. or So there are a lot of different ways. 
Yeah, I think that's good to know for for people, right, who are interested but maybe can't make it to you is, you know, now nowadays with the social media, like you said, that platform is so large and it, it can is. not only reach your local community, but you're you're talking nationally, right? In all the other states. We are. We're very excited. We just um in fact did some homework to see how many of the states that we are involved in and it's 48. Uh so we have, you know, not only donors, but adopters and um, people that uh, knew us from when we started that still correspond with us. Uh, so we're, we're, or we do events in other states. So we're excited to, um, you know, know that we've got the national presence and we want to be able to spread the word even more. We spend a lot of time in New Jersey because that is where we started and still have a lot of supporters. And as people retire, they're going to Florida, and so we have stories to tell in Florida. So um, today, you know, you really can be anywhere and still uh, share. So yeah, uh, that's that's an exciting piece. What does the future look like for you guys? Uh, I know you have a few events coming up that we can mention, and and people can find more information on your website. Um, and then I also want to give you a chance to kind of talk about what you're what you're working on next not only what does the future look like for you guys but you guys have some really cool and exciting things coming up why don't you take just a few minutes and and talk to us about what that looks like okay well in terms of the events yes there's three signature events a year and all the information's on the website there's a monte carlo in march uh, we do a big golf tournament in the summer and then in the fall we have a family music festival here on site at east smithfield but uh, in terms of really looking at where Animal Care Sanctuary is headed, um, we are in the, right now building a kennel and a new clinic. But we uh, then will move into the big phase, which is a welcome center. We really want uh, to be able to have classrooms. Uh, we do have schools that come up. And we always have to kind of plan it for when the weather is good because we don't have a place to put 30, 40 students. And so we do it outside and sit around picnic tables and things like that. But we really are looking for more uh, in our welcome center, more of an educational piece that we can have here on site. We do go into the schools, but it would be nice to have it here. And then um, we really want to look at ourselves as a destination. I think I had mentioned earlier that everybody drives through us, um, our counties, to go to the Finger Lakes, which are 40 minutes away, or Corning. And so um, knowing that and knowing how many people come here to adopt or visit and stay in hotels, we're looking to put some tiny homes that are really environmentally sensitive to our beautiful woods and ponds and fields uh, tucked in so that people can come and actually stay on site. Maybe they come for a long weekend and socialize with cats or walk dogs in the morning and then go to the Finger Lakes in the afternoon. So we really see this as um, an opportunity to become a destination. We feel we are one already, but we can certainly uh, do a lot more if we had uh, the Welcome Center, where we could have a lot more educational components and classes and things like that. So we're really excited about 
our future, which also means, you know, a lot of work in terms of raising funds, but we will do it. You know, we will do it with the help of our, our, our public. Yeah, I, I love where you guys are going with this, right? Um, building the kennels, uh, the new Welcome Center. And, and again, the, the education for you guys I know is huge, and we've talked about that quite a bit. So I definitely like where you guys are going with that. But I think what I love is your thinking destination. Um, I don't know that I've encountered another organization that thinks of themselves as a destination. So I think the tiny homes and being environmentally sound, uh, I think is huge, especially with where you guys are located. So I'm definitely interested in that. And I we're curious about, you know, what that's going to take and, and if you guys are able to accomplish that. So we'll definitely be following uh, you in that in that process. So I, I want to just uh, leave you with a thought. Um, my background, as I had mentioned, was home care and hospice. And um, in the past, uh, I had a, uh, it was a nonprofit, but a residential center for hospice. And, you know, you'd say, come visit, you know, and people would say, oh, I don't want to. Very similar to when you say, come visit the sanctuary. Oh, I can't. It's too sad. We are a happy place. You know, it is about quality of life, and our animals are happy. Yes, they would love it more if they were in a home, but we have great staff, great volunteers. And so that is why we really do want to become a destination and show people that, um, you know, there's wonderful things happening here. It is not sad in any way. Yeah, I did. I did not get that message at all through this conversation. So I'm I'm really excited that you you pointed that out and it, and are encouraging others of that. Right? You you do often think there are sad things that that happen in in rescues and shelters and and there are. Don't get me wrong. There are when an owner you know surrender happens and they leave and they're crying and we have the dog or the cat. It's very sad. Sure. But you look at the joy of when they go back out into a new home that's going to love them. And in the meantime, they're loved here. And that's the important piece. They're loved and cared for. And, um, you know, we we want to really stress that, that we are a happy place. Yeah, absolutely. I look, this has been a a wonderful conversation. and, And I know we've gone over a little bit of our of our time. Um, but I think everything we talked about is really important. And I think you gave some great information and, and uh, different ways for people to get involved and started. And well, we really appreciate you giving us the opportunity to talk about it. Thanks for tuning into today's podcast. If you're not already a member, join the ARPA to take advantage of all the resources we have to offer. And don't forget to sign up with dubert.com. It's free and helps automate the most difficult tasks in animal rescue.